This is Peter Franson from SpiritBlade.net. I'm thrilled to share with you this unique look into the origins of the Spirit Blade audio drama trilogy. For more information about these cinematically produced full cast audio dramas, visit SpiritBlade.net. And right now, prepare to dive into this enhanced audiobook experience as we present Spirit Blade, a novel by Peter Franson. Part 7 The tree has no use for you, demon, Vincent stated. A technicality, the demon countered. I'd call that a dead end. Vincent, the Nephilim pleaded, placing his hands on Vincent's shoulders. It doesn't have to be. Not for you, not for any of us. Behind his dark glasses, the Nephilim seemed to show genuine sympathy. I know you, Vincent. I've seen your life, and I know your heart. Vincent shifted his weight away from the creature in discomfort. You don't know glitch about me, freak. Astrum continued to build, slowly encircling Vincent's tall frame. Oh, really? The demon snarled. The bloated flesh now covering the entire wall behind Vincent erupted, sending a swarm of slick tendrils out to ensnare Vincent. The writhing mass struck the floor instead as Vincent, prepared for the assault, launched a materialized grappling line which pierced the ceiling and pulled him from harm's way. Astrum swarmed in around the Nephilim and gathered into a pair of military belt-fed pulse weapons. A hailstorm of magnetically propelled bullets exploded and fragmented in the air around Vincent, who swung in an arc out over the congregation below. Releasing his hold on the line, Vincent sailed through the air, executing a quarter turn and landed on the wall, where he refocused his gravity and took off in a sprint. Chunks of plaster and wood flew up around him as his mind's representation of the sanctuary walls became riddled with bullet holes. Vincent spun around, now armed with a pulse rifle, and fired off six shots in the Nephilim's direction. But the creature was gone. Or at least, not currently visible. A hideous cackle echoed off the Astrum walls. Come, Vincent, let's make this fun! With a thought, an electronic scope materialized and settled over Vincent's left eye. The demon probably downshifted, he thought to himself. Isaiah had told him once that the number of angels and demons is too great for the mind to count. Although Vince can see them here, he can't see them all at once. There are far too many for that. Demons of the lower castes pose no threat to a shifter. Even in great numbers, they're far too weak to be of any consequence to him. So, as Isaiah had taught him, he tuned his mind in only to those castes that could potentially pose a threat, choosing to allow all others to become invisible so as not to crowd his vision. Clever demon, Vincent smiled. Truly a creature of deception but hiding in another cast frequency won't save you. A massive impact drove Vincent through the wall, distorting his perceptions and slamming him to the floor again. Vince kicked to his feet, eyes darting, trying to find his unseen attacker. Again, he was pummeled to the ground, this time crashing through the floor into the mausoleum. Suddenly, Vince realized that in changing his vision to focus on the lower cast frequency, he had shut off his perception regarding higher casts. The demon was rotating through the cast frequencies, keeping himself undetectable. I've got to hand it to you, Nephi, Vince called out. You're an accomplished coward. Strategist, Vincent, the mocking voice called back. After all, this is hardly neutral ground, a building filled with potential converts to your god. His spirit is a little more active here right now than in most places. Vincent remained quiet and let the demon talk, while silently he began to adjust to its fluctuating cast frequencies. I'll bet the notion is an exciting one to you, isn't it, Vincent? The holy spirit of your god working even now amidst their unbelief to draw these pathetic creatures to his side. 
Multiple frequencies flashed in and out, causing the number of demons Vincent saw to strobe in front of his eyes. Yet amidst all the chaos, the pattern shift began to catch up with that of the Nephilim, and Vincent could again see his nemesis clearly. Increasing numbers in your little army. But you've seen our numbers, Vincent. You should know better than anyone that the battle you fight cannot be won. Exoskeletal armor shimmered into existence around Vincent's legs, propelling him with a single thrust into a collision course with the targeted demon. His blade almost sang as it formed in Vincent's hand and found its mark in the demon's chest. Not by us, demon, Vincent snarled. But the battle belongs to Yesu. The Nephilim cursed in rage. Black, leathery wings erupted from his back, shredding his coat and then propelling them both upward as Vincent hung tight to the blade still fastened in the demon's torso. Only a breath of resistance met them as they soared through the roof of the cathedral and flew into the sky. The city shrank beneath them as they continued to climb at untrackable speed. With a sudden jolt, Vincent found himself completely reoriented lying on carpet, surrounded by people mingling in a long room with small windows along both walls. The unnatural silence told Vince that he was still in the spirit world, however. He looked and was relieved to see that his blade was still in his hand. Standing quickly, he scanned the room for any sign of the demon. Halfway across the crowd, he caught the familiar sunglasses peering through one of the windows from the outside, grinning at him accompanied by an inviting wave. Light burst from beneath his feet as Vincent spun through the air, executing a deadly kick as he passed through the wall to the demon outside. To his amazement, Vincent found himself miles above the earth again. Abandoning his offensive maneuver, Vincent spun around, just barely securing his blade in the wall he had passed through. The Nephilim, in restored formal attire again, laughed at Vincent's precarious position as he held on effortlessly to the side of what Vincent now identified to be a luxury airline transport. "'You look as though you were afraid to fall, mortal!' the demon called over the astrum winds rushing in unison with their physical counterpart. "'You still know so little about this place!' The Nephilim laughed again, throwing his head back. Vincent took advantage and swung on the handle of his secured blade, planting his black boot squarely in the jaw of the creature. Then, yanking the sword from its setting in the wall, he spun his body, letting momentum carry him to the top of the transport, where he landed and swiftly took up a combat stance. The demon had disappeared. Relaxing his guard somewhat, Vincent traveled the distance of the transport, peering over each ledge, looking for the creature but with no success. Ran is right, Vince thought. The opposition is getting much stronger. This creature had almost taken him, he realized. What do you mean, almost? The Nephilim rose through the floor behind Vincent and grabbed him from behind, plunging a jagged dagger into his chest as his uncovered eyes drenched Vincent's soul with visions of unimagined terror. Vincent screamed and reflexively swung his blade backward, thrusting it into the demon for a second time. Only now the demon seemed to have no reaction whatsoever to his wound. Too weak to withdraw his blade, Vincent stumbled to his knees, managing only to remove the dagger from his chest. I'm disappointed, Vincent. The demon shook his head. I'd heard such promising things. But now I see that you are still too attached to this world to be worth much to the spiritual realm. You still limit your perception of this realm to what you've grown accustomed to in the physical realm. And until you've conquered that obstacle, you are of no use to me. The Nephilim rolled Vincent onto his back with his foot. Of course, I can't have you working against me either. 
The Nephilim paused and casually removed Vincent's blade from his side, allowing it to reduce itself to a harmless hilt. And although your potency is significantly reduced with this in my possession, you may still become a nuisance to me. And so we must part ways. You to go and be with God, and I to go and become him. Goodbye. With a leisurely nudge, the Nephilim sent Vincent plummeting to the earth. Vincent's body poured out a trail of light as he shot down to the city again. In the spirit realm, the ground thundered as Vincent crashed through the skylight of a shopping mall and slammed into a decorative fountain at the center of the food court. Vincent's form shimmered completely out of cohesion for a moment until he refocused himself. It was all he could do to remain intact. The demon's vision still ate at his soul. He had to get away from this realm. He had to escape or die. Ah, <laughs> yes, the demon laughed. Run, Vincent, run from an emotion you've come to know so well. Vincent grabbed the rail around the fountain with one hand as he refocused his will, preparing to shift back to the physical realm. The remaining glass in the ceiling above Vincent shattered and rained down, reforming itself into the vague pattern of a man. Fear... The glass apparition spun around, kicking and slicing at Vince, who stumbled backward as his flesh began to tear. The shards melted and instantly reformed into the Nephilim, who stood grinning behind dark glasses over a vaporously bleeding Vincent. Yes, I do know you, Vincent, so much better than those you call friends. He crouched down, suddenly becoming sympathetic. They think of you as such a warrior, don't they? They turn to you and see an unbeatable machine, a mortal man who fears nothing and dares even face demons in combat, defying the forces of hell. The Nephilim smiled sadly, yet terrified of heaven. Tearing off his glasses, the Nephilim prince unleashed dark terror to fully engulf Vincent. Vincent cried out in fear at the visions given to him, visions of uncomprehended horror he had not experienced since the first time he'd shifted. How nice of God to magically conform this reality to a language you can understand, the Nephilim sighed. Too bad you can't be sure of the same thing in eternity, he rasped sadistically. It's maddening, isn't it? You're going to spend eternity in a place that will likely be devoid of time, a non-linear existence. Vincent continued to moan as the vision consumed his mind. But all you've ever known has been measured in time. Every memory you've experienced took place within the context of time. If time does exist in the afterlife, you'll go mad because of the never-ending sameness of it all. Maybe worshipping your precious god will pass the time for the first few billion eons, but after a while, the very concept of existence will become so old, so monotonous, that your mind will fragment, leaving you a blubbering fool that cannot die. If time doesn't exist, you'll go mad simply because you have no concept of what existence is. To even say that you would behave a certain way because of the madness would be to assume that there is some form of time at work, some aspect of cause and effect. The truth is, you'll be stepping into the unknown, having already committed to eternity there. The Nephilim stood and glared down at Vincent, who now lay on the floor, and placed his polished black shoe over his neck. Trapped in a chaotic existence forever.
Vincent felt the abominable terror gripping him like a vice. Everything the Nephilim said had been true in his mind, hidden at times by his dedication to the liberation, but always there, lurking in the darkness of his psyche. I honestly can't blame you for keeping your shameful lack of faith to yourself. Your friends in the liberation would think you quite pathetic for fearing something that so few ever seem to think about. Their hero, their savior, would be tarnished. Vincent's perception of reality became warped by delusions, force-fed into the very core of his being. And do you know what humanity does when they get tired of their saviors? The demon asked in anxious anticipation. Sweat glistened on Vincent's face, too weak to answer. He could only watch as the demon lifted his arms in front of him. The floor beneath Vincent birthed a wooden beam that carried Vincent into the air. From the beam branched out another, sprouting gnarled twigs that moved with sinister life. The twigs wrapped around Vincent's wrists and pulled them back, stretching Vincent's arms out to each side and binding his feet at the base of the massive cross. The cross lowered in its supernatural suspension, bringing the barely conscious Vincent into level eye contact with his executioner. I'll never understand why you chose this over a kingdom, Vincent. But the choice is yours, nevertheless. The cross rose again into the air as the demon formally saluted, singing the star-spangled banner. Fireworks exploded around the rising cross, bursting into gruesome figures that glowed with demonic flame as they circled Vincent, joining their master's song in twisted harmony. Play ball, the Nephilim shouted, and pitched a flaming sphere at Vincent. On a course to his midsection, the burning ball split into three white-hot daggers, which pinned Vincent's hands and feet to the cross, simultaneously combusting them in raging white fire. Vincent screamed as his hands and feet were reduced to charred bone. The flaming apparitions in the air cackled in unison and disappeared into vapor. Vincent's moans died down as he began to drift into the afterlife. Much as I'd like to stay for this, the show is going to be even better at your friend's place, the prince said flatly, replacing his sunglasses. They're about to let the Shaden's cat out of the bag, and then all hell's breaking loose, know what I mean? The demon straightened his jacket as a wave of flame entered the room. Say hi to your prince for me. With a rush of heat and light, the flames swallowed the demon, transporting him elsewhere. Vincent, alone and dying felt himself plunge into darkness. Light sprung from the small image generator in front of Ran as he furiously typed at the keypad. His stomach growled quietly. It was close to dinner time, and he had eaten very little all day. It was so easy for him to become consumed in his work. His gift was a unique one. Within the hidden corners of his mind lay the secrets connecting the spiritual world to the physical world. It wasn't knowledge he was always conscious of. At times, an idea would simply spring into his mind, prompted by the workings of the only. And before he looked at his watch again, he would have a fully operational prototype in front of him. He created devices that worked beyond any conventional science, although in cooperation with all the scientific laws. He had always had a gifted mind, but since joining the liberation and learning of Yesu and his true purpose in life, his abilities had grown beyond what any school was capable of teaching. Ran created devices that were powered by Astrum, 
few of them had a code or switch that turned them on or off. They were activated by prayer, by mental petition into the spiritual realms. His creations tapped into and interacted with the unseen world, allowing him to communicate across the barriers that separate it from the physical world. Through his creations, Ran was able to utilize limitless spiritual power to produce incredible, tangible results. His inventions brought aspects of the most potent force in the universe into the physical world. In the wrong hands, his knowledge could easily bring about the destruction of the earth. As a result, Ran had always treated his work very seriously, beginning each session in his workshop with a time of prayer to Yesu for guidance and wisdom. His stomach growled at him again. He knew he should probably stop for a minute and get something to eat. He stood and walked over into the kitchen, passing David, who lay on the couch, escaping the world in quiet slumber. He had been sleeping there for the two hours since Ran had returned from a supply run. He knew that something was bothering the boy, something more than the obvious, but he decided to let it rest for the time being. Glass, 18 ounce, Rand said. A panel slid open, revealing a drinking glass. As Rand reached to take it down, the front door hissed open and closed as Merrick walked in, slowly, lost in thought. Merrick! Rand started excitedly. His hunger forgotten again, he absently handed Merrick the glass he had found for himself. Come here, I've got something I want to show you. Rand took to the couch and clicked away rhythmically at the portable keypad he kept with him constantly. The coin-sized projector on the tabletop sprung to life, erupting liquid light into the air before them. A three-dimensional hologram rotated at eye level, showcasing several icons, each labeled but flashing security warnings. Did you bring back the clearance codes? Rand asked as he zoomed in on an icon marked transactions. Yeah, Merrick answered, reaching into his pocket. He pulled out a small blue crystal and handed it to Ran. On the table, Ran answered without looking. He had placed another projector down in front of him and with his keypad called up another holographic screen. Merrick placed the crystal on the table as instructed, then noticed what Ran was working on. Hey, that's my RCF file, Merrick said, startled. What are you doing? I hope you don't mind. I didn't have time to wait for you to return to set this up properly and your file was easy enough to break into. Rand continued typing furiously. Incidentally, I checked your messages while I was in there. The grid boy people have bumped up your deadline to the 4th, your security payment is due next week, and your hemorrhoid medication has been recalled by the manufacturer. What are you doing? Merrick demanded. What is that? He pointed to an unusual icon in his file system. A man's legacy, Rand answered. Suddenly the memory flooded back into Merrick's mind. The Anderson Files. In a moment of uncertainty, as instructed, Merrick had downloaded it into his RCF, but had only examined the first two files. The others were encrypted, and could only be opened by the Liberation. Merrick now assumed that, in this instance, the Liberation meant RAN. In a perfect world, the files would have been opened shortly after he had arrived at the underground headquarters, but it was far from a perfect world, and that vital step had been all but forgotten in light of the chaos that had consumed their lives. Yet, now it was right in front of them. The massive secret kept in that tiny crystal would finally be revealed in its entirety. Rand snatched up the crystal containing the clearance codes and fed it into the small port attached to his keypad. After a few quick keystrokes, the strange, unlabeled icon lit up and began to blink. After pausing for a moment in reflective silence, Rand turned to Merrick and said, Listen, I don't know what's in this file, but I'm pretty sure it was only intended for you to see. He stood to leave. So... I'll just... No. Merrick pulled him gently back into his seat. Ran, listen. I'm not sure what to make of all this, but discovering this world of yours has nearly destroyed mine. Merrick's eyes fell to the floor. 
You guys... You're the closest thing I have to friends in all of this. And it's all gotten so big that I... Merrick's words left him, and he found he could only breathe as he searched for what he was trying to say. I just need your input, okay? Whatever's in this file, I I need you to help me make sense of it. Rand caught a tremble in Merrick's hand out of the corner of his eye. It was evident that the abrupt changes in Merrick's way of life were taking their toll. All right, Merrick. He placed a reassuring hand on Merrick's shoulder and smiled. We're here for you. Merrick nodded silently and returned a faint smile before he returned his attention to the keypad in front of Rand. Whenever you're ready, Merrick, Rand said quietly, and slid the keypad directly in front of Merrick. Merrick paused only for a moment before pressing the final command key. At first, nothing seemed to happen, but a moment before Merrick could turn questioningly to Rand, the lights in the living block dimmed. David sat up and rubbed his eyes as the hum of the power systems in Merrick's home lowered their pitch. Rand glanced down at the hollow monitor. It's tapped into the central system of your block, Merrick. It's grabbing all the processing power it can get a hold of. Glitch, it's a setup. We've got a virus, Merrick yelled, jumping up. I've got to cut the main power before it infects the whole building. Merrick began pulling on a panel next to the main entrance. David, get over here and help me with this. Main power's been shut down, so we've got to do it manually. David, fully awakened by the excitement, bolted to Merrick's side. Rand remained dumbfounded as the lights turned completely off. I don't get it. Dirk was our most trusted field agent. I can't believe he would have sent you a virus. Nor should you, a strange voice intoned electronically. The room was suddenly lit again, but this time by a ghostly figure standing in the middle of it. Merrick looked on in horror, his body backing as far against the wall as it could. You're dead. I saw you die. Rand's eyes filled with wonder. Dirk? Not exactly, the figure responded as it gained clarity, forming the shape and size of Merrick's rescuer. I am a digital conversion of Dirk Anderson. Of course, Rand lit up, turning to the other two. My Digicon program. I developed a program that could make a digital copy of an entire personality. Memories, emotional responses, everything but the soul. It was the last project I developed for Atlantis, but when Vince and I left, I took it with me without turning it in. I gave it to Isaiah as an example of my work, but I didn't think he would ever use it. The holographic figure smiled and stood up straight, presenting himself. My emitters, Merrick realized. You're a hologram using my block's processors and emitters. Just for my projected form, which is quite complex and versatile on its own. The rest of my processing is being accomplished by the RCF systems. You shouldn't need that much power, Rand said, confused. Not if I was a standard Digicon, no. But I have more than just Dirk's memories and personality. I have every file, every program, every tech prototype, every bit of information the Liberation has collected from the beginning. Everything you need to set up headquarters, wherever and whenever you'd like, with every tool and resource the Liberation had to offer. All you need is a matter reprocessor and a link to the RCF, and the Liberation headquarters remains alive. Holy tracks! Rand laughed and fell back into his chair in disbelief. We could go anywhere, anywhere in the world now! Not yet, Rand. Dirk held out a glowing hand sternly. We have immediate problems here in Gateway. If they aren't dealt with presently, there won't be anywhere left in the world to hide. This is about that tree, isn't it? Merrick stated. Yes, Dirk answered solemnly. It will only be a matter of hours before the first successful test is completed. Rand leaned in quizzically. Test? What are you talking about? The Shada and Atlantis. Soon they will reach the culmination of their joint effort, and the world will be cast into a darkness from which it may never recover until the end of days. 
How can you possibly know that? Merrick asked, slightly doubtful. As I said, the projection continued, I possess the combined knowledge that every field agent of the Liberation has ever gathered. Partnered with the processing power of the RCF systems, I am able to correlate seemingly unrelated facts and deduce the current progress of the Shaden Atlantis project. Has he always talked like that? Merrick asked Ran. Stodgy and arrogant? Ran said. Yeah, only now he really knows what he's talking about. I beg your pardon, Dirk intoned scoldingly. All right, smart guy, Merrick said, frustrated. So can you paint a picture of what's going on for us mere mortals who can't remember when the fusion payments are due? It would take more time and brain power than that which exists in this room for it to be valuable to you, the hologram stated matter-of-factly. Wait, Dirk, Rand said. If you've got our debriefing files, then you know what we know now, and you know what we need to know now. Knowing that, can you tell us what we need to know? Wait, has that again? Merrick asked Rand. Done, Dirk announced after blinking only once. Have a seat. The pertinent information will be displayed on my emitters. Your emitters, Merrick started. Shh, sit down, Rand whispered harshly and pulled Merrick into the seat next to him. The image of Dirk vanished, replaced by a three-dimensional image of Earth rotating on its axis. As it turned, red markers began appearing in various spots across the globe. Dirk's voice continued to speak over the projection. During the last three years of my operations abroad, collaborating with several other agents, I discovered a number of secret Atlantis installations across the planet. Each contains different parts of the texts we have so long sought after. While physical security made it impossible to infiltrate and obtain original copies, digital files were more accessible. Before today, the Liberation possessed a mere 28.27% of the original texts. Now, encoded within my programming, we are in possession of 52.693% of the texts that once made up what was commonly called the book. Rand's jaw dropped in amazement as the electronic voice continued. Although no volume within the book has been recovered yet in its entirety, we have been able to deduce several astonishing facts from the fragments we now possess. The image of the Earth dissolved into a close-up of eastern Turkey and western Iran. The location of the tree is thought to be in this area, the proposed region of the Place of Beginnings, which newly recovered texts refer to as Eden. But we now know this to be completely false. What? Ran exclaimed. But the Shada, everything they're doing is based on... Recently discovered prophetic texts, Dirk continued, indicate that the tree is currently in Paradisia. At some point in the future, it will return to this planet, surrounded by a gigantic city known as Neo-Salem. Well, if the tree isn't here, the Shada Atlantis project fails, end of story, right? Wrong, Merrick, Dirk answered. The Shada are completely aware of the tree's absence, but they have lured Atlantis into their true plot to make use of their resources. The map disappeared, replaced by an endless list of names scrolling up in front of them. Who are all these people? Merrick asked. They are volunteers from the ranks of Atlantis Incorporated, Dirk responded. Thousands of employees who have willingly signed up to be partakers in what they have been told will be the greatest medical breakthrough in history. Immortality, Rand whispered in horror. For a moment, silence hung over the room like a dark cloud as each considered the immensity of the plot before them. Wait, wait, Merrick broke in again. Without the tree, how do the Shada hope to follow through? They have never needed the tree. Although their reproduction of the tree will be flawed and lacking its spiritual life-giving qualities, they have more than enough data to reproduce it biologically, retaining much of its physical enhancing power. With a wavering voice, Ran asked the question to which he already knew the answer. If the tree left here so long ago... How could the Shada still know enough about it to recreate it? Dirk's response came with a sigh. 
as he realized the incredible nature of what he was about to reveal. Because the Shada have been on this planet with us since the beginning of mankind. The planet Shadum does not exist. Atlantis practically owns the Allied space program and provided fabricated telescans of Shadum and its three moons. Then what the Drax are they? Merrick demanded. We've learned from the recent texts we've obtained that Yesu's servants, the angels, were able to take on physical form when they so desired. It stands to reason that the fallen can do the same. Demons! Ran nearly burst. The Shada are demons! Dirk's form reappeared and slowly nodded. You've been listening to the audiobook edition of Spirit Blade, written and narrated by Peter Franson, with music by Unique Tracks, Bjorn A. Lynn, and Dynamedian Royalty Free. To experience the groundbreaking, cinematically produced audio dramas based on this story, visit www.spiritblade.net. Thanks for listening. The future. A world where the quest for truth is a thing of the past. Look, your truth just isn't true for me, okay? The truth does not require your belief. It simply is, regardless of your personal convictions. I think the world's been blinded, Ebony. Everybody claims to be spiritual, whatever the drack that means, but nobody really knows anything about the spiritual world. Merrick, this is crazy. You can't talk like this. And they'll do anything to keep it out of our future. It's Atlantis! They found us again! An alien race has blessed us with amazing technology. Merrick, the world we live in is incredible. While a race of demons destroys who we are. Do you believe in the supernatural, Mr. Vandarius? We shall believe in your blood, humans. <laughs> Brothers, tonight marks the end of our subjection to the only. <laughs> Humanity will be wiped from the map of history. We've traveled across our world and even into another. What we can see with our eyes is of little consequence in the grand scheme of things. It is what occurs in the other world around us that should have us concerned. What the press just happened? Was that the... The other world. We've been hunted by humans, aliens, and things I don't have a name for. I'm the future, Vincent. The ultimate life form. There's too many of them. One goes down and three more take its place. All because we're looking for the one weapon that can bring an end to this conflict forever. Give me the sword! A weapon known only as the Spirit Blade. Oh, I can feel its power from here. Oh yeah, well tell me what this feels like. For more information, visit spiritblade.net.